Okay, let's give a warm Tulare County welcome for our featured speaker, Bo. One of my favorite things about Marianne, it was very early on in sobriety, what was advised to me, uh, amongst many other things, you know, that it's only a, a higher power that's going to keep you sober. Um, but one of the things that might help with that is sharing your life openly and honestly with other alcoholics. And I love that Marianna is constantly, constantly, constantly sharing her life openly and honestly with other alcoholics. She comes to my... Uh, she comes to my Thursday night uh, home group meeting, which is the breath, uh, breath of fresh air meeting. And um, so I'm really, I feel really privileged that I got to hear you speak tonight. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I know this is AA, but I always like to start off my, uh, I always like to start off my pitch uh, talking about surfing. So bear with me, it has a point. Um, I moved out here about a year ago from San Francisco. And I lived there for 10 years. And if anybody's ever been to San Francisco and you've gone to the beach there, there's this great big beach called Ocean Beach. And uh, between the months of about early November until late February, uh, this occurrence happens where uh, the Pacific Ocean just decides to start dumping these massive, massive, massive waves right along the coast. Um, and on one particular occasion, uh, my buddy called me, and he's a, he's a pretty accomplished surfer. I'm okay, you know, I know surf big waves, but he's kind of an accomplished big wave surfer. And he calls me up, and he says, hey, Bo, you know, Ocean Beach is fiery right now. We've got to get down there, and da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm going, okay, you know, I'll go down, and I'll check it out. So I go down, and we see, and it is gigantic. I mean, it is absolutely gigantic. It's too big to go out. But my buddy's sitting there, and I look over at him, and he starts putting on his wetsuit. And I'm going, oh, you know, I don't want to seem like a coward. You know? So I start doing that. I start putting on my wetsuit, and it's just, just boom, huge wave. Boom. You know, you hear it. It rattles the whole beach. And he's still putting on his wetsuit, and I'm getting kind of nervous. And uh, anyway, so eventually we end up uh, taking our boards down, and we start paddling out. And it took me like 20 minutes just to paddle out these waves, one after the other, after the other, after the other. My buddy got separated. He was way down the beach. I was, I was still trying to make it out. And finally, after about 20 minutes of straight paddling, just exhausted, I finally make it out. And I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of, you know, pretending. I'm on pretend surfing because there's really no way I'm going to catch any of these waves. I'm just trying to wait for the smallest one to come so I can catch it and ride it in the beach. And uh, what happens when the waves get that big, there's so much water moving around that um, it develops a current. And the current moves as quick as the, uh, you know, as the Colorado River. It moves quick. And I didn't really notice, but I was sitting out there, and if you've ever been to Ocean Beach, uh, there is a uh, restaurant called the Cliff House. And right outside of the restaurant of uh, the Cliff House, it's up on the hill over the bluff, there's these two big gigantic rocks that sit out, you know, a couple hundred yards out the beach. So I'm sitting there just waiting for the waves to come in, and 
And I'm looking, and all of a sudden I kind of look over, and I'm going, holy shit, those are rocks. You know? And I start going, oh, if, if I don't catch a wave, then I might run into those rocks, you know? So these waves start coming, and they're too big. I don't, I, I check it out. I don't pad, you know, I'm paddling for it, but I don't really want to go on it because it's just, it's just too big, you know? And so then, because I didn't catch a wave in, I'm still getting pushed up against the rocks. So then it kind of starts to panic. And I go, okay, well, here's what I'll do. I'm going to start paddling in the opposite direction for two minutes. I'm not going to look at the beach. I'm not going to look anywhere. I'm just going to paddle, 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 paddle. And, uh, you know, I did that for two minutes. And after two minutes, I was 50 yards backwards from the place that I started. And I'm getting pushed up into these rocks. And I'm going, holy God. I go, you know, and I start to get real nervous. So it dawns on me that, well, I can't paddle in. I can't paddle back up the beach, I'll paddle out. So that's what I do. I start paddling out. You know, so I start getting to the point where I, I'm going to clear the rocks. But the only problem is, is now I'm sitting out in the middle of the San Francisco Bay. You know, I'm sitting out in the middle of the, where the entrance. You know, I see the Golden Gate, you know, the Golden Gate's over there. And I'm drifting. And I can't really do anything. You know, I grew up, I played uh, high school and college water polo. I grew up, I was a lifeguard for the city of San Clemente for four years. I could swim. I knew about being in the ocean. You know, I knew about the ocean. I was never scared of the ocean whatsoever. But in this particular occasion, there was nothing that I could do. You know, I was paddle. I, I couldn't paddle. I couldn't paddle out. You know, the thought, the thought uh, occurred to me, maybe I should paddle around. And if I could go with the current and, like, maybe kind of slingshot in, like, over by the bridge. But there's these things called tankers that go in and out of the bridge, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't think those things can just throw in the emergency bridge, you know, for a surfer sitting out there. So I'm just kind of sitting there, and I go, holy shit. I go, somebody's going to have to come get me. I go, somebody's just going to have to go. And right at that point, there's this seal that starts popping up by me. And you know what? I, I didn't say, holy shit, somebody's going to have to go get me. I go, holy shit, some shark's going to think I'm a seal. I'm going to get eaten. You know, I'm going to get flat out eaten right now. And I start to get real scared. You know, and, uh, you know, luckily about 30 minutes later, somebody up on the Cliff House restaurant, they saw me. And the fire engines come on the beach. And... And everything's coming down, and finally, you know, after 15 minutes after that, the Harbor Patrol comes around, and they pick me up, and they drive me all the way down to the other end of the beach, and they drop me off, and I paddle in, which is what I wanted to do in the first place, and, uh, you know, I get to the beach, and it was funny, the, there was an ABC news crew waiting for me when I got on the beach, and I was so embarrassed, I was so embarrassed, the guy goes, he goes, Hey man, was that was that you out there that got uh, rescued over there and brought back in and da da da? And I go, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> you know, I ran up, I ran up to the beach, I got my board, and I ran up to the beach, and uh, you know, I got in my car and I left a voicemail for my buddy saying, oh hey, yeah, I hope you had a great surf, okay, I'll talk to you later, you know, and. Uh, you know, so on future experiences, when I would go down to the beach and I would see that the waves were that big, I would go, well, I guess I'm not surfing today. You know, I'd go, oh, you know, I'm not going to surf today. And I could give you a hundred other experiences where I had something really horrible happen to me, really scary happen to me, really devastating happen to me, really disgusting, really creepy happen to me. 
And I learned my lesson. But I can't give you one when it comes to drugs and alcohol. I cannot give you a single experience where I go, that was so disgusting or so creepy or so horrible or so awful that it made me go, I'm never going to drink again. It never happened. You know? And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, I do, I, I, I very quickly will mention the uh, drug aspect of it, but the kind of drugs that I did were an alcoholic's best friend because they pretty much took away the alcohol's two biggest problems, and that was sleep and work. You know, I didn't have to go to sleep anymore, and I was too creepy to go to work, so I could just drink around the clock until I fell over. You know what I mean? Until, until, you could, until you couldn't physically drink anymore, that was when it was over. So, uh, I'll, paint the, 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 I'll paint the picture um, of, uh, what was it? December, 2000, December 2005, I'm sitting out in my apartment on 33rd Avenue. I'm not sitting in my apartment, I'm sitting in my room, where I've been for four days. Okay? I've been in my room for four days drinking. Uh, too afraid to leave the room for any reason. So uh, the beer bottles, I don't know which beer bottles have urine in them and which beer bottles have beer in them. And I don't know, uh, I don't know which, um, you know, I, there's the best I could do. I remember I, at some point I vomited and the best that I could do was take a towel and just cover it. You know what I mean? And I've been living in this room for four days. And I kind of dawns on me, it goes, wow, I don't think most people live like this. You know, like, I don't think that most people, um, you know, are doing this. And I kind of sat there and I go, how, how in the holy hell did I get here? You know, how in the holy hell am I sitting out in my room, living in my own filth? You know, and I started looking back on my life. Oh, well, was it my parents? Well, no. I had the two greatest parents you could ever ask me who loved, provided for me in every aspect of that I could ever want. You know, was it my childhood? So, you know, uh, no, I grew up in San Clemente, California, where the biggest problems is, uh, is it sunny and are the waves good? You know? Uh, was it high school? Did something happen in high school? No, I was a four-sport athlete, uh, big man on campus, um, you know, got a scholarship to go play water polo at UC Berkeley. You know, what the hell was I doing? How in the hell did I get to where I was? You know, and it finally dawned on me that, well, you know, it must, it must be because um, I'm just a piece of shit. You know, I'm just a bad person. And I just, I just can't get it together enough, you know, to, um, to, to make my life the way that I wanted it to. And, uh, you know, I started uh, really dramatically uh, crying and calling people, you know, like a good alcoholic. And uh, I started calling people, and word got back to my aunt, who's been in the program for, uh, I think, 28 years. Word got back to my aunt that, you know, I was all messed up and da-da-da-da-da. And so she said, you know, fly home and we'll go to a meeting and yada, yada, yada. So I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And um, I, 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 I shared this story about uh, my mom's uh, pastor. And I shared this well, Thursday night, so uh, bear with me. But... 
Uh, my mom, when I was drinking, would always be, you know, go, I, my mom was a very spiritual woman, wonderfully spiritual. I love my mom's spirituality. But uh, she would always say, oh, Bo, I need you to go talk to, I want you to go, if things were like really heated between us, I would, you know, if I would come home drunk or do something really stupid drunk, I want you to go talk to Pastor Pete. I think Pastor Pete will really help you. I think Pastor Pete will really straighten you out. So every now and then, I go, I go talk to Pastor Pete. And Pastor Pete is a wonderful, wonderful human being. Absolutely phenomenal human being. Um, but Pastor Pete's story goes like this. Pastor Pete uh, graduated high school uh, with his uh, high school girlfriend. They both went to the same Bible college. Uh, they got married in Bible college, and they went to go start a church after that. Uh, they ended up having two kids. And, um, you know, nowhere in Pastor Pete's story was... The part where uh, he was using his closet as a bathroom when he was drunk in his uh, room for four days. I couldn't relate to Pastor Pete. You know what I mean? But that first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting I went to, the guy who got up, he shared his life openly and honestly, and he said that uh, through getting this thing called a sponsor and working these things called steps, he found a way out. And in his share, I go, holy shit, I drank like that. And, and holy shit, I did that too. You know, so that was the moment that I went from being the least hopeful to the most hopeful I'd ever been in my life. Because here I was, even though it looked like I was a piece of shit to the outside world, maybe there was something different to what was going on here. Maybe I wasn't, even though the things I did were shitty, maybe it wasn't because I was a bad person. The only problem was this, is that... In this process, I started to get sober. I started to go to meetings. But the only problem was that I had a horrible first step. I had an absolutely horrible first step. I wanted things to get better. I didn't want to get sober. I wanted things to get better. But the thought of never, ever having to drink again scared the living shit out of me. And I didn't want to never drink again because alcohol was my baby. You know, alcohol, I protected alcohol. People in my family, usually people get up here and share about how people die because of this disease. Well, people had to die in my family so that I could keep drinking. And what I mean by that is I ran out of, I ran out of excuses of why I was uh, uh, a no-call, no-show to work. And I ran out of excuses why I didn't show up here again. And the only possible solution that somebody might go for was that one of my family members died. And I think in the big boy world, they call that pathetic. When your family member has to, when your family members have to start dying so that you can keep drinking, I think most people would call that pathetic. You know? And that's what I was doing. So I came into AA for ten and a half months, and I went to the meetings, and I got a sponsor, and I started working the steps, but I had a horrible first step. And that was that someday I was just going to mature out of this. Someday I was just going to wake up. I first started to try to get sober when I was 25. And it was that one day, maybe when I was 27, 28, I just, it would click. And I would be able to, um, you know, I'd be able to be the guy that drank six beers on Friday night. And then drank too much on Saturday. And then was just hung over on Sunday. You know, I know a lot of people that are not alcoholics that drink, uh, that drink, um, you know, like that. And that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to have the family and have the kids. And one day it was just going to snap and that was going to be that. But shit, that didn't happen. You know? 
That got, it, 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 didn't, it didn't get like this. You know, if I just get the girl, well, I got the girl and things got worse. You know, and uh, if I just get the job, well, I got the job and things got worse. You know, it never, I, it, it started to slowly dawn on me that maybe this idea that, you know, uh, it was just going to one day get better, it's kind of teeter-tottered out of my mind. So anyway, uh, I'm sober for about ten and a half months and I decide that um, it's been long enough. You know, it's been long enough. I'm ten and a half months. This stuff should be out. I'm, 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 I'm more older. I'm older now, and I'm, I'm more mature now, and I can handle it. And I did on the first day. I uh, had four beers, and I was, I was excited because I was like four beers. You know, I was like, this is great. Four beers. You know, tall, frosty. You know, the big ones. And uh, the second day, I did the same home. I went home and I had three beers. And then uh, the third day. Uh, Somewhere in the midst of a 30-pack, I started smoking crack on 16th of Michigan. You know what I mean? And, and that's, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't anything I'd ever done before. You know what I mean? That wasn't anything I had ever even thought to do before. And uh, so uh, then I, you know, I got to go back out and I got to... Uh, you know, I got to do this thing that was really lucky, and that was not die. Because in my home group in San Francisco, we, uh, you know, we had a, I, I very rarely missed my home group in San Francisco on Sunday nights. And people would come in and out, and, even out, and they'd be trying to think about if they were alcoholics or not. And they'd be kind of, oh, I am, maybe, but I don't know, but this, that. And they weren't done. And unfortunately for them, they died. Fortunately for me, I didn't die. You know, and I had two shots at this before I actually I learned about what is called the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. You know, uh, so I, I went, I, you know, I went back out. Uh, I got sober for three more months when things got bad. Then I went back out for another year. And, uh, it finally dawned on me that I, I picked up a lot of stuff in AA, and it dawned on me that my sponsor had taken me through the doctor's opinion. And the doctor's opinion is my favorite part of the whole book. You know, the doctor's opinion is where I first related to this idea that there's this thing called the obsession of the mind. And the obsession of the mind is, is that alcoholics believe that one day they will learn to enjoy and control their drinking. And they will pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. And that made a lot of sense to me. You know, that made an awful lot of sense to me. And the second part was, there's something that happens in my body called the allergy of the body that um, doesn't happen in normal alcoholics. I can't explain why my friend Cameron can drink whiskey all night Friday night, and then drink whiskey all day Saturday, then drink whiskey all day Saturday, all night Saturday night, and then just be hungover on Sunday. That wasn't me. When I started drinking, I had an allergy that allowed me to be unable to predict when I was going to stop. You know? And those two things were the basis for my first step. That I was powerless over alcohol. That my life had become unmanageable. You know, when I finally recognized that it was over, I was never, ever, ever going to drink normally. And God removed that obsession from me when I was still drunk. I stayed drunk another 24 hours. But God removed that obsession from me that it was that, that, that I would drink normally. It was gone. 
And that's been one of the biggest miracles that has ever happened in my life. I don't know why that happened to me and why that doesn't happen to other people. You know, but it's happened to us. You know, it's happened to us. So I got a sponsor and I started to work in the steps and, uh, you know, that led me to my second step. And my second step was really, really easy for me. You know, I, uh, um, you know, I didn't have any problem with, uh, my second, my third steps were really easy actually because I didn't have any problem with God anymore because it had dawned on me that the guy living out on 33rd Avenue in his own piss and filth probably is not the ultimate authority on God. You know? I'm probably not the guy who makes the ultimate decision on whether 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 or not there's a God. You know? So that was real easy. So I just showed up at my sponsor's house and my sponsor told me to show up. We went through the book and I worked uh, one, two, and three. And then I, um, you know, my sponsor sent me on my fourth step. And uh, my fourth step was a very magical experience because I got to uh, finally put all the bullshit out in the open. And I got to see in my fourth step that it wasn't my mom's fault. It wasn't my dad's fault. It wasn't my brother's fault. It wasn't the ex-girlfriend's fault. It wasn't my friend's fault. It wasn't anybody else's fault. It was my fault. It was my fault. You know, and that was very, very uh, comforting to finally know the truth. You know, because I couldn't argue with what I saw on paper. I couldn't argue with the fact that I played a part in everything. You know? So my fourth step was also, it wasn't too, um, it wasn't too painful. You know, it took me about six weeks. And uh, when I called my sponsor and I said I thought I was done, and he said, okay, wait a little more. And sure enough, a couple other things came out. And, uh, you know, I did a fourth step. And then I went over to my sponsor's house and I shared it with him. And that was my fifth step. You know? And then six and seven says in the book, we go home, we find a quiet place for an hour or so. Well, I went home and I put my watch for an hour and I, you know, I, uh, I, I meditated on, uh, you know, the sixth and seventh step. Which led me to my eighth step, you know? And in the eighth step, I didn't know that, uh, you know, all that work is already done for us. All the amends is already written out. So my eighth step was pretty easy too. You know? It wasn't very, it, for me... Just showing up seemed to be working. You know, I didn't really have anything to do with it. It just showing up seemed to be working. You know, my sponsor said do this, and I did. My sponsor said do that, and I did that. It wasn't too. It, it never. That's one of my favorite things about AA. It just for me, my experience was it's not that complicated. I just get to do what I'm told. I don't have to think. I just my sponsor says does this, and I do it. And that brought me to my ninth step. You know, my ninth step was awesome because I got to uh, I got to have a first-hand experience of um, you know all the bullshit that swims around in my head. My first amends was to a water polo coach and, high, and my college water polo coach. I was the scary. I was a star athlete. I received a full scholarship to UC Berkeley, um, and it never. Uh, you know, I got to college and 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 I always thought it thought it was my coach. He doesn't. He doesn't like guys from Southern California. He doesn't like. He doesn't like our group of freshmen. He only likes these guys. All this other stuff. Well, I thought about this while I was drinking, literally every day of my life. I hated this guy until I did a four step. And then when I did a four step, I got to see that 
holy shit, uh, when you show up drunk and stoned to practice every single day, you might not be the best athlete. You know? You might not be, uh, you know, you might have something to do with it. And that never dawned on me. The fact that I was drinking before practice. You know, a Division One college athlete getting drunk before practice, you're probably not going to succeed. You know? And so then, after I, after I finally did a force, then I spent my everyday worrying about, oh my God, what did I do to this guy? I was blaming him for this, and God, this guy must totally hate me, and I can't believe that I would do this, and da 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 And I got on the bar, and I called him up to go make him my amends. I was like, hey, Coach Ash, uh, I'd like to talk to you about some past behavior. Uh, could you please meet me at uh, this uh, coffee shop? Da, da, da. He said, sure. So I get on the BART uh, from San Francisco, you take the BART over to Berkeley, and uh, I got on the BART, and I'm praying. I'm nervous, you know, I'm going, oh God, please help me with this amends, I just really want to make it good, and da 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 and gosh, this has been, you know. And so I get there, and, uh, and I sit down, and about five minutes later, he walks in the door. And uh, I thought about this guy for seven years straight. I thought about him for seven years, nearly every day of my life. And it became very clear, very quickly, that this guy had not been thinking about me for the last seven years. You know what I mean? This guy had not been going over and over in his head all the horrible things that I did to him. And that was really eye-opening because, man, I worried about that forever. I worried about that forever. So I went to go my second amendment was to a, 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 an old boss and... Uh, God, that man, he turned out to be an AA too. You know? And I did the same thing. I'm praying, oh, please let this man's go well, and da 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 da. Now, in my experience, I've heard people's experiences where men's do not go well. That hasn't been my experience. My experience is that uh, just showing up and doing the best that I can seems to uh, take uh, a filthy, disgusting drunk to be able to show up for situations that he never would have in his life. You know, and uh, then came 10, 11, and 12, you know. 10 was, uh, 10 kind of goes off and on for me. Sometimes I'm great about writing in a, a, a written amends, and sometimes I'm not. And guess what happens? I get in enough pain to where I write a 10 set, you know. And that's been how that's gone. Sometimes I'm really good at it, and sometimes I'm not, you know. And, uh... You know, prayer and meditation was really great for me, too, because AA taught me how to pray. I didn't have any prayers, and I walked in the door, and I got to learn the serenity prayer. And then I worked the steps to the third step, and I got to, uh, well, there's the first step prayer. And then I got to the seventh step, and, well, there's the seventh step prayer. And AA taught me how to pray, you know. And then somebody suggested I open up the book and read 86 and 87, and I do that, you know. And then uh, that kind of brings me to the twelfth step. And when I was when I was new and, and recovery, there was a guy who had about two years, and he was talking about, um, you know, uh, he got a sponsor and he worked the steps and he uh, has tons of service and he uh, is sponsoring guys and he got to accomplish his dream of going to journal uh, journalism school uh, and he got to do it at Columbia University and then he came back and he got this great job in San Francisco. And, uh, and he got married. And then they bought a house in a real nice part of the town in the Richmond district. You know, and I heard that. And uh, I, got to, I got the two years of sobriety. And I go, 
Well, I've worked God a sponsor and worked the steps. How come all that shit ain't happened to me? <laughs> and I think like that sometimes, you know? I think about that. But thank God for the 12th step to take me out of that. Because it reminds me of what my primary purpose is. You know, my primary purpose is to practice these uh, principles in all my affairs and carry this message to other alcoholics. And it doesn't say shit about anything else. You know, it doesn't say, it doesn't, it doesn't say that other stuff. And, uh, you know, that was my experience working the 12 steps. You know, and it's been, um, there's been, uh, let's see, there has been a lot of, uh, different, um, you know, different different things that I've done uh, wrong in sobriety. You know, uh, I like the part of the eleventh step that says, um, you know, having just made conscious contact with God, we cannot expect to be inspired at all times. You know, and I remember that uh, I was I was I had about two months sober and. Um, I was made treasurer of this meeting. And usually you don't make a person treasurer who's got two months sober. You have, they have two years. You know? And, uh, but the group all, okay, group, group conscience, oh, you want to do it? Okay, great. And I said, okay. You know, so I take the money and, and uh, you know, I put it up in my little uh, box in my closet and I go back to the meeting and I take the money and I go back and I put it in the box in my closet. And, uh, you know, there came a time where I was going to do this really nice thing for my coworkers, and I was going to buy. I worked with these three teachers at the time, and I was going to buy them all. Uh, we worked with emotionally disturbed kids, and so um, I was going to buy them all uh, massages for Christmas. And the uh, the money that I needed to buy the massages, I thought was going to come through, it didn't come through. You know, and I'm going, holy shit, where am I going to get five hundred dollars? And then I go, oh. Do you see what God did for me? God has all that money up in the uh, up in the um, up in my closet from AA. You know, I could just borrow that for a little while. And I think uh, in most cultures that's called stealing. You know, I think that's called stealing. And I did that in sobriety. But I was so sick when I got here that I couldn't really tell, uh, you know, I didn't really have a good moral compass yet. And I love that part of the 11th step that says, um, you know, having just made conscious contact with God, we cannot expect to be inspired all times. But I continue to show up. I continue to, I continue to work with my sponsor. I continue to work the steps. I continue to share my life openly and honestly with other alcoholics. And you know what? I don't really make decisions like that anymore. You know, I don't. And, uh... I'll, uh, I'll try to close out with this. Um, you know, AA for me, uh, I didn't, I couldn't really make sense of AA because I didn't get how um, going through this book and my experience with another man um, was going to solve my solve most of my life problems. And I didn't get how coming to these meetings in these church halls and these church basements was going to solve most of my life's problems. But that's what was happening. You know, it seemed like that I should be going out and grabbing my problems by the gut and really taking, you know, really taking them head on and, and really getting after it and fixing it, da 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 da. And my sponsor says, you know what? Why don't you just uh, try this? And 
I don't know how to equate the life that I got today from the life that I that I that I had with the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and a sponsor um, that led me to find a power that was greater than myself that was going to solve all these problems for me. The only way I can describe that is that it's miraculous. There's no way to describe how going through that book with another man solved. See, I don't want to say solve. Gave me this life that I don't deserve. You know, it gave me this total blessing of a life that I do not deserve. And uh, there was a. Uh, my sponsor tells a story. He tells a, he tells a the story of an experience, and I can relate to it a lot. And uh, there was a. If any of you, I'm a big baseball guy. I love going to the Giants games up in San Francisco. I'm actually an Angels fan at heart. Sorry, Tim. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's that experience you have where you're sitting in the uh, stands and your team's getting blown out, you know. And there was an experience where I remember having where uh, the Giants were losing 11-4. to And it was like... uh, you know, it was like the eighth inning. And in the eighth inning, the Giants came back and they scored about, you know, three more runs. And that took us into the ninth inning, you know. Uh, I think it was against the Mets. The Mets were scoreless in the top half of the ninth. And it went to the bottom half of the ninth, and I'm going four runs. I go, let's go. You know, I look at my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, let's go. You know, and as we get up to leave our seat, you hear the crack of the bat. You know, and Giants got a runner on first. And as we walk up the hallway, you know, you hear the crack of the bat again. Now we got runners on the corners, you know. And as we're leaving, you know, you hear the crack of the bat, and the crowd goes wild. You know, the crowd's going wild. And as we're walking down the ramp to go out, you hear it again. The crowd's going wild, you know. And I later come to find out that the Giants came back and they won that game. And uh, that was kind of like my life. You know, like I almost checked out before the rally happened. You know, I almost checked out before the rally happened. And I'm so grateful that I got to come to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, walk with other people who are doing the same thing I'm trying to do, and that's stay sober one day at a time. And uh, I get to have this absolute miraculous experience. I'm very, very grateful to have spoke tonight. I'm grateful to, uh, to walk this path with all of you. Thank you very much. Thank you.